0: I wanna start today with what I think is a humiliating story about myself, which are the best, right? Uh, So when I was a kid, I was like 10 years old and I was on a swim team. We were the Berea Dolphins and we were awful, but we had all the passion in the world. So not only was I not a great swimmer, I mean, I literally, I think the second practice, I almost drowned, true story. Uh, Not only was I not a great swimmer, I also did not pay attention very well. Some of you are like, oh, paying attention. Yes, I'm back, okay. I also didn't pay attention very well, so no judgment. And at one practice, we decided we would have a friendly competition that involved swimming down and swimming back. Pretty easy, you know, right? And you know, uh, it was the 90s, it was the 2000s, whatever year it was. And it's back when they would like line up all the kids and you would pick them out one by one, like who you want on your team, you know, like super trauma inducing for a lot of us, people getting picked ahead of you and and all that. Well, I guess I looked the part more than I actually was. I was one of the first ones to be picked. And I remember when I was picked, I thought that was a bad decision. That person does not know that I'm not good at this, but it's whatever. So here we are, we decided to have this friendly competition. You, You swim down, you swim back but we had this small i guess what i could call an an apparatus called a pull buoy and it fits between your thighs and it, it it that's that's its purpose is to create extra buoyancy for your hips and bring your body position in line and so that way you're more streamlined and you're swimming like this okay if you're listening uh online and you're not watching my incredible finger movement it's uh I don't know, like a mermaid, I don't know how to describe it. I still struggle to pay attention, can you tell? So, uh, it was about getting through the water quicker. I didn't even pay attention to that part. All I knew was I'm a bad swimmer and I'm about to compete against people. And so we're all in line, the competition is going and two or three swimmers are ahead of me. I was not paying attention. Have I articulated that enough to you? All of a sudden it's my turn and we're rushing through this thing, it's a race. And the person comes to the, to the edge, and they hand me something. And I was like, what is this thing? And it's a race. I got to hurry. So what do I do? I don't ask questions. Who has time for questions? I sling it up on my arm, and I jump in. And immediately, I didn't hit the water, and I started hearing, Kevin, no! You know, like, you know, just right in. And uh, if you've seen Home Alone, you know, she shouts, Kevin, imagine a hundred people shouting, Kevin, no. And I can hear them kind of, I'm swimming, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm just going for it. You know, I'm just like, no, it's competition. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to slow down. I don't have time to listen to you. Well, someone got my attention. It was my older brother, uh, Corey. He was not shouting my name. As older brothers do, he was shouting something else I won't repeat in church this morning. That got my attention. And I said, I must really be messing this up. And I stop and I look up and then he describes where it's supposed to go between your thighs, you idiot, you know, and, and, and he's doing that. Y'all, I'm 10 years old. That was a core memory. I'm up here still kind of maybe working through it with you all. I don't know. But it was absolutely humiliating. It was so embarrassing, but you know, I, I put it where I was supposed to go. I, I, I finished the down, and I came back, and uh, hey, we didn't finish last that day. We finished second to last because of me, but even though I made this awful, awful mistake, and honestly, it was my fault, okay? All I had to do was pay attention. All I had to do was pay attention, and if it didn't make sense, all I had to really do was ask a question, ask my coach at any point, but even in the midst of that, I still knew, hey, I need to finish this thing out. And so now it serves as a great reminder to me that, hey, I'm gonna make mistakes, okay? You, you will make mistakes as well, and it's okay. In fact, we just started a new series last week about a man who was best known for some of his greatest mistakes, and it involved Jesus. It's kind of a very, very big deal. You know, like people say, like, you can't mess up around God. Have you, have you read anything about this guy named Peter? because he does it all the time. This man named Simon Peter messes up all the time around Jesus, the son of God. And honestly, if you can mess that up and still be used by God, I think you can do anything. The big idea for the series, and I said this last week, you'll see this on the screen as well. The big idea for the series is pretty simple. The life of Simon Peter proves that while we may fail, fall, doubt, embarrass ourselves, and turn our back on our friends, we can still be restored and remain a faithful follower to the way of Jesus. Over and over and over, we see Peter and how he is a deeply flawed yet faithful disciple of Jesus. And what we find when we see the story of Peter is our own story. No matter how hard we try sometimes, we say or do the wrong thing or we go about something all wrong or, or we don't show love to people that we're supposed to be loving toward because we are flawed people. We even sometimes allow those flaws to overshadow us or define us. But the story of Simon Peter is the story of all of us because that's exactly how Jesus saw Peter. And, and that's how God sees you. He doesn't define you by your worst mistakes, but you are defined by his love. And so really quick refresher, last week, one, uh, last week was week one, and we examined Luke's account of Peter's call to follow Jesus because Matthew kind of skipped out on details, right? The gospel writer was writing to a certain audience and, and knew people would know the ins and outs of the story. And so Matthew's account was only three verses long. Luke's account was 11 verses long and adds a lot of detail, and there's a lot of interactions. And it was really, really important to see how Peter's faith journey did not start with Jesus walking up to him and say, follow me. And Peter and the guys with him dropped everything and followed him. But there was more history to it. There were more interactions Jesus had with Peter that led to ultimately the big decision to drop everything and follow him. We spent some time on that and it was really, really important to to learn uh, about Peter's faith journey. And, And God he is asking, I believe, something similar of us today because it is easy to get caught up in those big decisions where, where Jesus comes to you maybe and says, drop everything and follow me. It's, it's really easy, I think, to define our faith by the, the spiritual highs. But faith is not built on only those spiritual highs. Those are very few and far between. But our faith is built on those smaller steps of faithful obedience to God. And as we saw last week, Jesus was allowing Peter to take those smaller steps, and again, it ultimately led to that larger decision, that larger yes, and so I just want to encourage you this morning to say yes in your next step with Jesus, because it may seem small, but those small things add up very quickly. All right, I've got a a map for you, because I'm a visual person, and uh, so here's the map. Here's the The Sea of Galilee, the region of Galilee, including the Sea of Galilee. And this is where the story takes place, here in the northern uh, area of the map. And again, we talked about this last week uh, the fishing town where Peter grew up, that's Bethsaida. He married a woman from Capernaum and moved to Capernaum. And Jesus is going to ask his disciples in the story we're about to read in Matthew 14 to go across the Sea of Galilee. And this takes place right after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And so if you're familiar with the Bible or you know a few things about the Bible, the story we're about to read takes place right after, okay? Uh, Where the people, they were amazed and they were full. And here we go, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus sends them, okay? and essentially says, I'll catch up with you later, all right? But how? The answer is in verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was alone. And we'll pause right there. Just so you know, Jesus does this all the time. He does this quite a bit. It's important for us to take note of it. Jesus finds time to spend with God alone, and this matters. All all of this matters, by the way, on a Sunday morning, gathering and worship, this certainly matters. But purposed time alone with your maker is as important. And there are so many options available to us today. Of course, there is private yet purposed prayer away from distraction. But there are even apps now that will help you pray and meditate and get into the word and even remind you to find time to do it. I think I'm I think I'm on round like seven of the Bible in a year plan. And it's just always good for my soul uh, to just take these little short periods of time each day and just, and just read the word. Uh, and, and just like food nourishes your body, you won't always remember what you had a week ago, but you know it sustained you, you know it was good for you. And so uh, it's, it's good for you to have that purposed time, the little short, isolated amount of time to be with your father as well. And so Jesus does this. He gets away here. He was alone, but Jesus didn't stay there. You hear me? Jesus didn't stay there. And I think often it's, it's easy to want to isolate ourselves and pull out away from community and, and all these things. Jesus does it for a short time. He does not stay there. He joins the disciples later. Look at verse 24. Uh, in the boat, was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So these men were rowing and the wind seems to have taken them off course. Just for contextual purposes, this was not a giant cruise ship and it was not a teeny tiny small fishing boat either. Boats back then like this, uh, they were generally about 25 feet long, 8 feet wide. So not huge, but also not tiny. And the storm then picks up and what should have taken an hour with the wind at their backs or two hours, Bob Seeger style. Paying attention against the wind? Yeah, okay. No matter what, yeah, there you go. It's okay, it's all right, it's all right. It should have taken two hours max, right? But because of the storm, it had now taken them off course and it is believed based on wind patterns today that it took these men toward the center of the Sea of Galilee. That is the deepest part of the lake, and these men are getting scared. Now, many of us don't know this, but in the region at the time, the people often stayed close to the shore to avoid the deepest parts of the Sea of Galilee. When they crossed the sea, they always wanted to make sure the shore could be seen They wanted to avoid the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee because it was a common myth, but they believed the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee, at least culturally it was believed, not saying everyone believed this, but it was cultural, it was a cultural myth that the deepest part, the Sea of Galilee, was the closest to the underworld where demons and spirits were. And if you got too close, you could open what we would call a portal. It's true. And they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. So put yourself in their sandals for a moment because if that weren't enough, there is also a storm pushing you further off course and it could be pushing you into the demonic abyss for these men. It's the middle of the night. This is a living nightmare. And you think you have nightmares, these these poor men. Look at verse 25 now. So shortly before dawn, Pause, hold on, wait a second. Let's do some very easy math here. Jesus fed 5,000 people dinner the day before. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, how long were these poor men stuck in this storm on the Sea of Galilee? Who knows, that's just a question that uh, I had this week. Uh, But nonetheless, Jesus went out to them before dawn, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost? And they cried out in fear. Of course they thought that. It's the middle of the Sea of Galilee. There's a potential portal to the underworld. They absolutely believed Jesus was a ghost. These poor disciples, they were already scared with the storm, terrified of this maybe underworld sort of demonic encounter a demon from the abyss actually shows up. This fear goes beyond a storm. This fear is deeply spiritual and it is overwhelming for these men. Now, I don't know what kind of life you have lived, but if you have ever heard a grown man scream in terror, it chills you to your bones because it's one thing if I'm with a group of men or a group of people, and there are men who are bigger, stronger, faster than I. It doesn't take much. It's one thing if I'm scared, as long as other people are there who aren't scared. If I can lean on my friend Parrish, then I'm going to lean on him and his strength. But if Parrish starts screaming, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. It's chilling to the bone. These men are screaming. They, they, they are terrified. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I think this tells us a lot about Jesus' response to us. When we are afraid, when we are anxious, when we are confused, when we are going through difficult moments, when life seems terrible, when we are scared for our lives or scared of things in our lives, Jesus is coming to us in our worst moments, actually. This had me thinking of a lot of the things that I have prayed for in the 10 years or so that I've been a pastor. And I don't mean to list these out for shock value or anything like that, but these are just real situations that I have prayed with people as they walked through these dark moments, but they knew that Jesus was with them in these moments, not walking away from them, but walking toward them. Some things that, I have prayed for with people. Uh, I once prayed for a a school shooting survivor dealing with survivor's guilt. I've prayed for friends of ours dealing with infertility, but the desire to be parents and their body seemed to not want that. I've prayed with men and their various addictions to things that are sexual and pornographic and dealing with infidelity. I've prayed with people and their doubts about faith or whether church is still worth it after suffering incredible abuse from people who claim to be Christians. I've prayed with people who've had a loved one go in for a doctor's appointment and just weeks later enter into hospice care. These these, these are real situations and and they're very difficult situations and, and you might be walking through something right now that is incredibly difficult. But Jesus' response to us in these moments is not one of distance, but he comes closer. His response to our fear, his response to the storm is the same. Take courage, I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. And I love the image of a God that doesn't stand off and watch us suffer until we wise up and come to him. But Jesus sees you where you are, scared, hurting, alone, and struggling, and just wanting relief, and what does he do? He does the impossible. Jesus didn't have another way to you, so what did he do? He walked on water, because God will find a way to you. He walks on water to reach you when you think you are unreachable, unlovable, unforgivable, Jesus instead comes to you. And it might be scary at first. These men thought he was a ghost. It might be scary when Jesus comes to you at first. But look what happens here. We haven't talked about Peter. This is a sermon series built on Peter. Where are you at, man? Well, here we are. Verse 28. Here here is where Peter is now involved in the story. Verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Pause. Have you ever done something like that? Uh, Okay, no, not that. Not the walking on water part. Okay, we would have to have a conversation afterward because I got things to learn if you have. No, but have you ever done, I guess what Peter is doing here? Like, have you ever asked God to prove that he's God? If it is you, tell me to come. God, if you're real, I need you to do this. God, if you're out there watching me, I need you to act accordingly. There's more to it than that because what Peter is actually saying here is profound. He asks Jesus, if it's really you, bring me into your miracle. In other words, do something in my life that only you could possibly do. You see the difference? because I think we tend to ask God to come to us. God, I need you in my life. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. You wouldn't outright say perform for me, but kind of like the genie, we're asking God to perform for us, come into my life and and do these things for me. But Peter asks, can I come to you instead? I, I absolutely love Peter's faith here because if this were me, Even on my best day, I don't think I would look at Jesus and say, hey, can I walk on water too? I think my, uh, and I'm human, I think my response would be, Jesus, if it's you, what did we eat yesterday for breakfast? That is probably what I would reach for because I guess I don't have the sort of faith that Peter has, and that's why I love Peter's response. It is so impressive. Lord, bring me into what you are doing because I don't think this is how we typically talk about God or talk to God. I think if we pray at all, we usually pray in a way with our plans in mind and our ideas and our assumptions and what we think we need, and we ask him to come to us, to move in our lives. We ask him to do what we want him to do. We'll maybe treat prayer like a vending machine. I insert faith and I should get what I want in return. And listen, I don't mean to offend anyone. Let's go for it. I don't mean to offend anyone, but I just think we're all kind of self-obsessed with ourselves. I think we're all preoccupied with ourselves and our stories and our lives that we don't take time to ask God, could you bring me where you are? Instead, we usually... Pray about ourselves, for ourselves, with ourselves only in mind. I mean, what would happen in our lives if we just made that small pivot where it's, where it's no longer, God, come to me, but God, bring me closer to you. Bring me closer to you. I mean, would we see miracles if we would dare to show the kind of faith that Peter demonstrates for us. Instead of God help my husband, he means well, but God, how do you wanna use me in my marriage? What's a step I can take in this relationship? What's what's something that that you would want me to do with this person, with the situation in mind? Instead of God, change my work environment, give me a new job. God, how could you use me exactly where I am to show your grace and your mercy and your love? Now, Peter shows incredible faith and he asks if he can join in on what Jesus is already doing. And then verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter is a walking miracle one moment and he's sinking the next. And I think to myself in my own life, how quickly I forget, how quickly I forget. Because I think sometimes what holds us back from an encounter with God, from a breakthrough with God, from seeing God move in our lives again is forgetting just how far he has already brought us. Think about this for a second. Peter's geographical location on the lake is only possible because Jesus brought him there in the first place. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then that is true for you. Where you are at in your life right now is only possible because Jesus brought you there. Right? Peter said, bring me to you. And Jesus said, yeah, let's do this thing. Come on. That's the Pastor Kevin inspired version. But that's, that's, that's what I'm seeing right here happen though. Now, I think it's important to recognize that there are some things, there are some situations, there are some places that you need to go where only God can take you. But when we look at verse 30, if, if I hadn't read it to you already, and if I were to ask you, because it's a commonly, it's, it's a well-known story, right? If I were to ask you, what sunk Peter? I think I would have got response like, ah, oh, it was the storm. It was the waves. It was the lightning. No, the Bible actually says something really strange. The Bible says Peter saw the wind. You can't see the wind. What does that even mean? It means Peter was sunk by what he didn't see. And I think when we think of our own lives, I think we are also sunk by the things that we don't see. It wasn't a wave that overtook Peter and it wasn't lightning that struck Peter. Peter's fear of the wind is actually really interesting because it's hard to understand. Really, man? I mean, have you been in a storm? Is it the wind that's gonna get you or is it something else? I just think there's something really insightful here that we can't afford to overlook because I think for many of us today, our greatest fear is the storm. It's the waves, it's the lightning, it's the thunder, it's, it's the darkness, it's all. The storm is the scariest thing in your life right now. Maybe your storm is, is bankruptcy. Maybe it is addiction. Maybe your storm is shame and, and failure. That is the storm and it has all of your attention. It has all of your anxiety. It is all of your focus, it's a big deal. But you don't realize that the storm is not the thing that will sink you, but it's what you don't even see. Because just like Peter, you can't actually see the wind. And so while we may be all over the place this morning, go with me for a second. I think we are sunk by what we can't see. Because before you reach the storm of divorce, You were emotionally and mentally checked out, but you can't see that because that's the wind. The storm has your attention. The storm is whatever, in this case, divorce. The storm is the divorce itself. And you're thinking, I wanna avoid that. I wanna wanna stay away from this. I, I gotta stay clear of this. But what are we sunk by? Before you reach the storm and point of addiction, is it, is it the addiction itself? Or did you not have a healthy fear or respect for things? And that sunk you before the substance ever did. Because I think it's like the wind. You can't see the very thing that will sink you. We look at the storm in our life and we think that's the storm. That's it. I want to avoid that. And I'm terrified of that. You believe it's the single big thing right there that will destroy your life, your faith, your relationships. But no. What you couldn't see is what did you in. And at times, I'm just, I'm just gonna be vulnerable. This is where I'm at sometimes. At times, we wanna blame others for our misery. We wanna be justified in our anger or we simply want to be right. And maybe we sit here today with hurt people in our lives, being a hurt person ourselves, and we want to believe the reason is the big colossal obvious issue. And because we can't control the big obvious issue, we nurse our wounds, we double down in arrogance, we feed our ego, and we point the finger. But in light of our text, could it be that you were sunk before the storm ever showed up? And because of that, you have some work to do. You have some things to own. Your, de- your desire to justify that behavior in yourself, that situation in your life, that's what sinks you. And it's going to continue to sink you until you do the hard work. Peter is a walking miracle one moment and he sees the wind. Are you kidding me? He's sunk. He's sunk by what he can't see. And so are we. And what happened to you initially, it may not have been your fault. You can't control the storm. But at a certain point, it is our responsibility to do something about it, to better ourselves, to ask for help. Peter begins to sink and he calls to Jesus. And look at verse 31. Look what, look what Jesus does here. Verse 31. Jesus immediately. When? Jesus what? Jesus immediately. Peter calls out the name of Jesus. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately. And I love this because Jesus rescues Peter before he uses it as a teaching moment. Jesus immediately reached out and took hold of Peter. Peter is sinking. Peter has lost faith, right? He is, he's sinking in real time. He begins to sink as the storm continues. Jesus didn't stop the storm at this point. Peter is sinking and Jesus does not respond with, I bet you'll listen now, Peter. Look at where your decisions led you today. Look at at where you put your faith and look where you wound up. Jesus does not do that. Jesus immediately reaches out and rescues Peter. And people will come to us in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their grief and their pain. Instead of helping now and asking questions later, we feel like we need to teach the drowning person a lesson first. I think we have it totally backwards. Imagine if Jesus did that. Lord, save me. You know, Peter, if you had just kept your eyes on me, you know, Peter, if you would just pray more, Peter, if you would just read your Bible, Peter, if you would just join our Bible study, Peter, if you would just come to church, your life wouldn't be here. Jesus didn't do any of that. And unfortunately, I think that's how a lot of people will interact with Christians in a time of crisis. So why would they want help? They are drowning. You don't teach a drowning person how to swim, but you raise them up. I I think the problem is that we keep trying to talk to people about their faith while they're drowning when what they really need is someone to pull them up and to rescue them and to help them first before we ever try to have a conversation with them. Jesus rescues Peter and Jesus equally rescues us. Not, not a version of us that struggled and struggled to finally learn how to swim and then earn the right for God's help because that is something you cannot do. You don't earn faith. It simply rescues you from drowning. Jesus rescues you in the battle, in the midst of your worry, in the midst of your anxiety. Jesus reaches for you as you are because he loves you exactly as you are. And then here is where we're gonna wrap up today. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, wait, 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 think about it. We're we're, we're kind of lost on detail here, Matthew. Hold on. Allow the story to unfold in your mind for a moment. Jesus pulls Peter up. He rescues Peter first. Then he talks to Peter about his faith. And the Bible says they got back to the boat and then the wind ceased. Maybe this is a stupid question, but I tend to ask these. Think about this. Do you think... Jesus made Peter swim back to the boat. I can't know for sure, but I don't think so. Do you think Jesus carried Peter to the boat? It's possible. I don't think so, though. I believe Peter walked back with Jesus on the water to the boat. And I think some of us don't realize this, but we are on the walk back to the boat with Jesus. We have experienced something devastating, but God was with us. Jesus rescued us, but we are being led back to a safe place. And while Peter may be returning from where he came, Peter is not the same man that left that boat. You are not who you were before And while you may still be figuring it out, you are walking back with Jesus. Because when did this wind stop? It didn't stop until they reached the boat. The wind is howling. Your struggle is still all around you. You are still walking through that devastation. But God has shown you that you are not alone, you will not drown and he is with you still. Because Jesus allowed the same wind that sunk Peter to still rage around Peter on the walk back. But this time, Peter wasn't alone. Jesus could have easily stopped the wind upon pulling Peter up. He's Jesus, but he didn't. And I believe Jesus wanted the wind around Peter to stir something within Peter, because that's what God does with some of our most embarrassing moments and our most humiliating times in our lives is that we are not alone in those moments, but he's walking us somewhere safe. Finishing up in verse 33 and 34 here. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. And when they crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. It's not the way they planned it but they made it to their destination anyway. And that is a lesson that faith teaches us over and over and over. What took place out on the Sea of Galilee, it had to happen the way it did, or else Peter would not have had the opportunity to do what he did and learn what he learned. And so church, where are you in this flawed yet faithful story of Peter with Jesus? Are you scared today? surrounded by a storm that is just pushing you around where you don't want to go. Or maybe you're in that, that, that few of us where it's a spiritual high, you're a walking miracle out on the water, walking with Jesus, that's great. But maybe others of us, we are out there sinking and we're asking God, if you love me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. And yet our savior reaches out to you right now in this moment, telling you, you are not alone. Take courage. Come out here with me. Or are you on the walk back? You have experienced devastation. You thought you were done, but God rescued you and has shown you that he is not done with you. And that while your anxiety is still around you, your situation is still loud, it is still so distracting, but he is with you and he's leading you to a safe place. This is the Jesus of the Bible who who seeks us and finds a way to us even when everything seems impossible.